Our kiddos can head off to their class. Be praying for you guys too as you're taught. And then church, you can open to Philippians chapter 2 if you're going to be tracking along with the sermon this morning. We're going to be in Philippians 2. Why don't we stand as a way to honor God's word as we read these, these verses? We're going to be in Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, as we pray each week, as we turn to the Bible, uh, what we know not, would you teach us? Uh, What we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us all for your glory? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me give a little context here, just to be helpful. By the time that Paul writes Philippians, uh, the, the events that were recorded in the book of Acts uh, have, have already come to pass, have already happened. And so I, said, I say this every week, that if you want to if you're reading one of the letters that Paul wrote, you go to Acts and you can really see kind of the history and the timeline as to what's happening and how that letter was written. It's very helpful to kind of have Philippians, for example, alongside, you know, Acts as you're reading. But the events that were recorded in the book of Acts have already come to pass, have already happened. That means that the Messiah had come, and in doing so, uh, Jesus had, had ushered in a new covenant for his people. He then sent his followers into the world to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of the nations, and to plant churches. This is a commission given to, by Jesus to, to followers of, of him, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of the nations, and to plant churches. The book of Acts records really about 30 or so years of, of Acts 
or, or actions, that's why it's called acts, it's the acts of the, of the early Christians and starting churches. Now Paul wrote, again, several biblical letters to churches and individuals and the timeline of those letters, again, and many of those events that he references can be found in Acts. In this particular book, Philippians, you go to Acts chapter 16 and you can read a lot of history as to how this church was started. Again, one of those letters was written to the Philippian believers who had come to faith about a decade prior to Paul's letter to them. And so Paul's writing this letter that we've been in for the last several weeks, several months really, um, from Rome, likely in either a Roman prison or just on house arrest. And he is writing this letter to the Philippians that came to, to believe in the gospel when he was there with them prior, about 10 years prior with Silas. Um, kind of fascinating, when, when Paul was, was in Philippi planting this church, uh, he was, people were coming to faith and he was really frustrating the local officials. And so they threw him and Silas in prison. Actually, that's, he was booted out of Philippi. That's why he had not been back, because he was told he had to leave, because he was casting out spirits and he was evangelizing. And him and Silas were in prison, and then they started evangelizing the guards, and they were getting saved. And the people were like, the, the officials were like, you just got to go. Like, you got to get out of here. You're, you're, this is too much. Now, one distinctive of Paul's letter to the Philippians is its emphasis on, on joy. It's actually called the book of joy, but it's also called a book of partnership. So the emphasis on gospel partnerships is something significant, a theme we see in this letter over and over again. And in the passage that we're looking at this morning that I just read for you, you probably heard and, and, and saw a lot uh, about partnership. And in, in, in the passage we're in this morning, he gives emphasis to partnership with two particular men. It's um, Timothy and Epaphroditus he makes reference to. And so that's the goal this morning. The goal for the next few minutes is that, uh, that we would see what, what happy and humble gospel partnership looks like. Okay? That's the goal. What happy and humble gospel partnership looks like. Paul begins by reminding the Philippians who his hope has always been in. It's in the Lord Jesus. That's in verse 19. His hope in the Lord Jesus is, 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 his, is, is, is what anchors him. And then he says that his hope is that he will be able to send Timothy to them at some point. Okay, so he can't yet, but he says, at some point, I hope to be able to send Timothy to you. They had requested when they sent Epaphroditus to Rome with gifts and money for Paul, they had requested that Paul retain Epaphroditus and then send them Timothy. That was their request. And so he says that his hope is that at some point he will be able to send Timothy. He responds by essentially saying, not, not yet. Like, the time to send Timothy to you is not now. <clears throat> we live in a culture of logistics, right, and pragmatics. And so when we hope to do something, we sort of immediately become pragmatic about whatever it is that we're starting to do or want to do, and we start to plan, would you agree? We're planners. We have an entire economy built around planning, right? They're called calendars, and our tech has calendars, and we are planners. 
And while there are certain pragmatic or practical aspects to the way that God divinely operates, we are firstly, we need to remember this, we are firstly spiritual people, Christian. You are firstly a spiritual person, not a pragmatist. Meaning that you are, you are, you are born of the Spirit, is the way that Jesus uses the language. You've been born of the Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul was unbelievably spiritual, i.e., he was led by the Spirit. He was connected to the Holy Spirit. He operated out of the Holy Spirit's empowerment in his life. He identified, firstly, as a spiritual man, okay? Um, his, his, His first words here show us that, where he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. So it's not like, uh, firstly, uh, I, I hope that some logistics work out, but rather I hope in the Lord Jesus. He is deferring to God's plans first, always. I hope, in other words, Paul says, if the Lord wills it to send Timothy to you, is another way of viewing this. I hope if the Lord wills it to send Timothy to you. I had a friend who, uh, whenever he was invited to do something, he would agree with a caveat if the Lord wills it. <laughs> um, what a great out for the introverted Christian. <laughs> Just needing a reason to maybe not show up. It's like, yeah, like I'll be there. Or not. Like if the Lord, if the Lord wills it, we'll see. Like is that an option on Evites? Like, if the Lord wills it, click. I would click that every time. Every time. I always found it to be like half true and half like spiritual snobbery. It was like both. <laughs> but it's true, right? It's true. It, nonetheless, it's true. If the Lord wills it, you know, we'll see. Um, in verse 20, he says, for I have no one like him. I have, I have no one like Timothy, Right? which leads to our first observation. We have three observations. Our first one is real simple. It's aim to be someone others want to keep company with. Aim to be someone others want to keep company with. Um, we, we need to see here the, the, the worth and, and find our, of Timothy and find ourselves inspired to, to, to be this sort of happy and humble servant that others want to keep in their presence. That we aim to be someone that others want to keep company with. Um, can I confess something to you? This is like, I wasn't going to put this in here, but I feel like I need to. Um, you're nervous, but don't be nervous. It's okay. And also, don't judge me because I was young when this happened and when we used to do this, when I used to do this. There was a small group of us on staff at the church. And um, when I was in my 20s, I was a youth pastor, and I started to notice in church there are certain people in the church that, that, that always took and never gave, right? You're like, yeah, of course, that's just, that is life. They would, they would always ask for and they would never contribute. They would always complain and they would never encourage. That's kind of the way we kind of saw it. And we had a name, <laughs> we had a name for them. Um, it was an RSL. It was a resource-sucking leech. Um, I know, I'm not proud of it, so stop judging me. I already told you. And 
I'm not proud of my attitude towards them, but it was so frustrating. I have never called any of you that, by the way, and I never will, because I was in my 20s. I'm, I'm a grown 40-year-old man now, all right? Um, Timothy was not an RSL. Timothy was one who Paul wanted in his presence. He was likely not only effective as a gospel partner, but probably, probably just a good all-around guy. Kind, had a sense of humor, worked hard, loved people, had a humble confidence about him. He was young, because Paul actually said, hey, don't let others judge you because you're too young, maybe. So we know he was for sure young, but also assertive, bold in his proclamation of the gospel. There's a lot we can learn about Timothy. Paul says that he has proven worth as a son with a father. He has served with me in the gospel, is what Paul says. This picture of father-son would be powerful imagery even more so than today. Language of, in this day, family and lineage and heirs and kinship would have been the greatest bond you could possibly speak of. This is why um, adoption as sons and daughters of God is such a significant biblical theme. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, why didn't God just call us, like, human people or just humans or, like, no, he calls us sons and daughters who he adopts into his family. Paul says, Timothy is like a son to me. It's the partnership they have, the bond they have. And what holds that bond together is the gospel. Their, their, their common love for Christ and for the, the, the message that broken sinners, Jew and Gentile and everyone who receives Christ could, could be welcomed into the presence of God, into his kingdom forever. That was the glue that held their bond together, that message. And so Paul feels for Timothy and then Paul expresses this feeling. I, I love that we know how Paul feels about Timothy. There's nothing more frustrating than not knowing how somebody feels for you. I love that Paul expresses it. And I do, I wonder if we express it towards one another as often as we should. Where we say things like, I am so thankful for you. Or I don't have any friend quite like you. You mean the world to me, I love you. Don't withhold. Let's not be a withholding people. There are people in your life that need to hear what you feel. They need to be built up and reminded of their worth to you. Not just, you know, you matter a lot to God. No, you also matter to me. I received several, uh, two text messages this week that I would put into that category. For every frustration you express to someone, you should express your love and affection and gratitude a hundred times more. Paul goes on to say, Timothy will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, Philippians. The most significant word here is genuine. Genuine means, means, means actual or un, unfeigned or sincere or real. Paul says Timothy has a real, serious concern for you, Philippians. He really cares about you. 
You should operate as a follower of Jesus in such a way that others sense and feel a certain sincerity of care and love from you. You should operate in such a way that non-followers of Jesus looking in question their lack of following because of your witness. I really believe one of our biggest problems and hindrances to effective Christ-likeness, this is, I feel this in my own soul, is that I just don't love people the way I need to love people. I avoid and hide oftentimes and lack that vulnerability of expression of love and care and concern and hospitality. And, and so then we have these we have these categories because we're not really good at being vulnerable and expressing the way that Paul is kind of modeling for us here. We have these categories and even these like these formal tests now that will, will tell you what type of person you are. Did you know this? And, and how that affects your engagement with others. And some of these tools and tests can be very helpful in helping you identify what that looks like for you. Those tests are fine, but listen, whether you're a one or a nine on the Enneagram, and I don't even know what those are, a lot of you do, I've never done it, but whether you're a one or a nine, I've been told what I am before, what am I? I Okay, everybody's seven, seven, I don't know, six, maybe seven, maybe a little four in there. Um, Whether you're one or a nine, like Timothy, we we are to have a genuine care for the welfare of others, a genuine love for people. We need to pray that if that's not happening in our hearts and minds and souls, that that begins to happen. That's a non-negotiable, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't matter. That's what we see here. Paul loves Timothy. And then Paul expresses Timothy's love for the Philippians. There's all sorts of expressing happening here. Observation number two, loving one another while recognizing our limitations. We have limitations too. That's significant. I want us to see this from the text, that your love and care has limitations. That's why Paul, that's, that's actually what Paul is, is ultimately communicating here. Paul is saying, Philippians, Timothy loves you, but no, Timothy cannot come to you right now. He cannot come to you. He loves you dearly. He has your interest in mind your welfare in mind, but he cannot come to you right now because he needs to be here with me and for me. But it doesn't change, Philippians, his sincere concern for your welfare. What that tells me is that we, we need to be not so offended when someone doesn't call me back right away or text within seconds or email within hours or show up to my party or rejects an invitation to spend time with me, that person can still care very, very much for me, but they have limitations. They have limitations, just like Timothy did. Timothy was needed with Paul in Rome. They are human. Paul wants to communicate to the Philippians, yes, I want to send Timothy, he is great. But Philippians, let me remind you, who you need more is the Holy Spirit. That's who you really need right now and who you will always need. Whether Timothy is there or I am there, you you need the Holy Spirit. And you need to trust and depend on the Holy Spirit and believe the Holy Spirit's a real, he communicates as a person to us, to guide us 
and to direct us and to encourage us and to teach us. Philippians, that's who you need. We have limitations. We must name the limitations and be okay with them as they reflect to others and to the world that we are not the main point. Jesus is the main point, and he is who the world needs more than me or you or Timothy or Silas or whoever. The third observation just has to do with Epaphroditus. So that was Timothy. This one has to do with Epaphroditus. And that's um, that sometimes our plans align with God's plans, and other times they don't. How are we called to respond? All right? I think Epaphroditus went going, yeah, see you guys, I'm out. On my way to Rome. All right? I'm going to the big city. I'm not going to see you again. He gets there, and Paul's like, yeah, about that. I'm actually going to be sending you back. Paul pivots here to talk about Epaphroditus in verse 25. And what, I love what he does here. He builds Epaphroditus up to the Philippians. He commends Epaphroditus to the Philippians because, again, he is sending him back. And so with Timothy, it was, I need to keep him. With Epaphroditus is, I'm sending him back to you. And on the surface, it may seem like there is something about Epaphroditus that Paul may not like. Like, why would you not send Timothy? And it, is it like a personality difference? Or what's the, what's the reason here? We don't know. And that's okay that we don't know. Because that would be Paul expressing like maybe unnecessary information. But what Paul rather does here is he uses five positive titles to reference Epaphroditus. He builds him up too. Five. He calls him a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a minister. He uses five positive titles to reference this man that he's going to be sending back. Paul honors him and then says, the main reason I'm sending him home for now is that he has been ill. So he gives an explanation, is that he has been ill, now he is well, and he wants to see his loved ones, and I'm assuming that his loved ones want to see him. So yeah, I'm going to send him back for now. This is a good solution. What an opportunity for Epaphroditus, according to verse 27, he'll get to go back and celebrate that he's not dead with his family. Paul says, rejoice, honor such men, throw him a party. This man almost died for the sake of the gospel. He lived through a brutal sickness. Like what a perspective. Once again here, church, it's, I love God's word because it just reminds us over and over again, we need to be a spiritual people. What a perspective. We see the emphasis, the emphasis here on the spiritual. There is the celebration, verse 30, you can see it. There's a celebration that God kept him alive. Do we know why? For the work of Christ. That's why he kept him alive. Again, this is why reading the Bible is so strange to us at times. Like if disease and so foreign, when we read these passages, we're like, wow, that's like super spiritual stuff. Yeah, it is, and it's attainable for you too. But if disease hit me and I was on my deathbed, and then God healed me, what would be my first thought if he healed me? It would be, thank you, God, I couldn't imagine leaving Sarah 
who needs me, like really needs me. <laughs> True, yeah, thanks, babe. Or my kids, thank you, God, for keeping me alive, for my kids or for my church. My, man, my kids need me. Man, my church needs me. But firstly, for Paul here, it was God kept Epaphroditus alive to carry on the proclamation of the gospel for the work of Christ. That's first for him. That's why he kept him alive. To proclaim the good news that because of the resurrected Christ, sin and death have been defeated and everybody's welcome. That's why he kept him alive. This is what they firstly concerned themselves with. In all the temptation we have to to battle just the micro issues of the day, as macro as they may seem. Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy and Silas and John and Peter and Lydia and the women down by the river who were converted in Philippi and all the believers in that day, what they stood for and what many died for was not some secondary issue, but singularly the cause of Christ, the work of Christ. That's what they stood for. It's what they died for. And so with all the updates as we wrap up here and personal commendations that we see in Philippians 2, 19 to 20, it might be easy to forget the most basic point behind all these comings and goings, all these, right, these, these travels and everything happening here. And that's the mission. It's the mission. That's why Paul is imprisoned and awaiting trial. That's why the Philippians sent support to Paul through Epaphroditus. It was the work of Christ for which he was risking his life. His concern for their welfare is part of seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice, concern, going, serving, risking, all for the sake of Christ and for his mission. That's what it was for. And so when things don't go as planned, they just sort of went, stay the course, care for one another, pray for one another, press on, trust God. That was their perspective. I want to end with this thought this morning, and, and I hope it's helpful, and I hope it, I hope it relieves maybe some pressure, and I hope you're not feeling pressure right now, but if you are, I hope it relieves some pressure right about now that you need to go and be this happy and humble sacrificial servant. And let me just explain what, what I mean by that. Because you're not supposed to feel pressure from that. And, and here's why. Um, the perfection of Christ is, is a principle in Christology which, which builds the case that Christ's human attributes exemplified perfection in every possible sense. And so everything we just described that we want to be, Christ is. That's essentially what that is. It's called the perfection of Christ. And the Apostle Paul's perspective on Christ is that he was a perfect man and considered him the second Adam. So Adam was not a perfect man and Christ was. Everything Adam was, Christ was, was not. Okay. In other words, what Adam royally messed up spiritually, morally, glorily, 
like glorify, like he didn't glorify God, so glorily. It's not a word, but I like it. Jesus redeems all those things. So whatever Adam messed up, morally, spiritually, glorily, Jesus redeems all of those things. So, stick with me. When we look at the struggles of life in texts like this, um, we can look to Jesus as the perfect one so we don't have to be, right? Like, it could be hard to read passages like this because this is really important. Like, on one hand, we, we see, like, that it's really encouraging because there's a lot of encouragement and there's building up of these men that Paul is doing that I just talked about for the last 30 minutes. On the other hand, it's sad, isn't it? There's a lot of sadness here. Paul's imprisoned. He's in prison. Um, Timothy was young and likely had anxiety and he was scared because people were out to kill him and he was, he had this new message he was trying to proclaim and he wasn't just like trotting along as an 18-year-old or whatever, like just happy every day. And he was probably nervous and scared and had anxieties. Epaphroditus almost died. And you wonder sort of if like the Philippians are going to be discouraged when like Epaphroditus walks back in. He's like, hey, I'm alive. And they're like, we're so glad you're alive, but where's Timothy? There's a lot of sadness and kind of challenging things happening, even in a text like this. And this is why we need to see Jesus as the hero in every single story. Like, go back to the three observations. Let me just connect the dots briefly here. Observation one, like, Jesus is the one we ultimately want to keep in our company. So you want to be a person that people want to keep company with? Yes, of course, but Ultimately, Jesus is the one that we want to keep in our company. And guess what? His sacrifice for us was proof that he actually wants to be in your company forever. Okay? Jesus is better than you at keeping company with people. So that's good news. Pressure relief. Observation two, we love one another but recognize our limitations. Jesus is the hero whose love has no limitations. Okay? Pressure relief. It's not on you to do this perfectly. You admit, yes, I have lots of limitations. He broke the power of limitation in his resurrection. He died a brutal death, then three days later got up and walked out, appearing to hundreds of people after his resurrection. Our love has limitations. His love has no limitations. Death couldn't even hold him down. His love was so great for you that he got out of the grave. He walked out. And what led him to walk out? His love for you. This is why we need him. That's why he's our hero. So your love has limitations. Admit it and lean into his limitless love. And then lastly, observation number three, while our plans don't often work out, the plan of God always prevails. And guess what? The greatest plan he ever put into place was to send Jesus to reconcile us back to himself. And so Jesus is the hero who perfectly completes God's perfect plans, and we get to just simply benefit from them. You just get to benefit. That is the gospel. You get to benefit from God's perfect plan being put in place, and then Jesus perfectly fulfilling that plan for you. Amen? That's great news. Praise God for that. 
This is what Paul really wanted for the Philippians to believe and why he celebrated these men for joining him in those efforts. This is why we as a church talk about celebrating Jesus so much and we talk about the gospel and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus so much because he is the power and he is the point and he is the one capable of doing anything and everything that we are incapable of doing. As we transition to communion this morning, um, I would just invite you to take a moment when you return to your seat after you've come just to um, thank God that he wants to keep company with you and that it's perfect company, that he wants you in his presence, that he has no limitations in accomplishing that and bringing you to himself. Despite our unrighteousness, he is perfectly righteous and he invites you to be covered by his righteousness. And then he wants to bring you into his kingdom and then he's gonna make all things new through the death and resurrection of Christ. And so just pause and reflect and pray and take a few moments to worship before you partake. We practice um, open communion with what's called intinction. It's a theological word, intinction. So we simply take the bread and we dip it into the cup and there's wine or juice. And so you can just come when you're prepared and you can take the bread that represents the body of Christ and you can dip it into the cup and return to your seat when you're ready and uh, just pray and spend some time with the Lord and then you can take communion as you're ready this morning. Sound good? Can I pray for us? <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we would leave here this morning just a, a little closer to, to you and that your word has facilitated that. That waxing eloquent or saying lots of words would do that is a silly thought. It has to be your spirit and your word combined and spirit and truth combined that would, that would edify us and nourish us and grow us and uh, lead us to you each week. And so that's our simple prayer is that this morning that happened, that it happened a little bit and that you would be honored in that. We pray all this in uh, the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen, amen. And amen. You can come as you're as you're ready, church. Mm -hmm.